0: Welcome to this special edition of the Tove Podcast. With everything going on out there, Aaron and I decided to take a small break and interrupt ourselves so that we could address some things going on in the world today, including the chaos that is seemingly unending and things to come. Thanks for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Well, there's a lot going on out there today, as you're well aware, if you pay any attention to the news at all, between the biggest slide downward in the stock market since 2008, to the spread of a virus that we don't seem to have a cure for, to constant wars in the Middle East and elsewhere around the globe, when I think about what's going on today, the general term is chaos. And the chaos doesn't seem to have an ending point, at least not right now. And so it is appropriate to talk about something that, in my opinion, is not talked about enough. And when it is talked about, it is often in a non-biblical, unhelpful way. We'll talk about just how much of the Bible prophecy entails in just a moment. But first, I want to back up a second. Why study prophecy in a biblical way? Doesn't it just lead us to division? Doesn't it just lead to craziness? Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people believe, is that if they really start to study prophecy, they're going to end up looking like that guy. Or they're going to end up taking a position that only brings about division but that need not be the case in fact i know a lot of people who hold very strongly to certain positions but the key is is that they hold to those positions gracefully and so i want to tell you first and foremost that it is possible to study prophecy and a host of other subjects and yet still remain sane and yet still remain thoroughly biblical and still place love of the brethren, love of others above everything else. Why study prophecy from the Bible? First, Dr. Mark Hitchcock points out that there are about a thousand prophecies in the Bible. So reason number one why we might want to study prophecy is because it is a huge part of the scriptures. About a thousand prophecies are listed in Scripture. Now, about half of those have already been fulfilled. Fifty percent, approximately, of prophecies have been fulfilled, and they have been fulfilled down to the minutest detail. In other words, if the Bible made a prediction about a certain place, or a certain person, or an exact time, And those prophecies have been fulfilled, it was fulfilled in detail exactly as the Bible said it would. Now, with this kind of track record of 100% accuracy for the first 500 prophecies that have been fulfilled, we can confidently believe that the remaining 500 prophecies will also come to pass just as the Bible states they will. In fact, if we were conducting a scientific experiment, and we found that every single time we did something, the exact same result was produced, 100% of the time, we could stop the scientific experiment and say, what's the point in continuing? We have done this 100 times. We've done this 250 times, and the result has been the same 100% of the same result. That is the case with biblical prophecy thus far. We can be confident that the 500 remaining prophecies will be fulfilled just like the other half have already been. Now, if you don't yet read the Bible, perhaps you're listening to the Tove podcast today for the first time, or you're listening in just to see what these crazy guys happen to teach about the Bible— this will hopefully this should hopefully pique your interest about what I'm telling you here that holy cow that many prophecies are in the Bible and half of them have been fulfilled to the minutest detail boy maybe I should check this book out maybe there really is something to it now this this tells me at least that the Bible's content is not man-made what are the chances of me or anybody else in history writing down 500 specific things about people, places, and time. And then 500 come true. I don't know what the statistics are, but they're astronomical. Therefore, the Bible's content cannot be man-made. Rather, it, is, it has its origins outside of our own space-time continuum. Again, that all comes from Dr. Mark Hitchcock. The Bible is not some kind of a book that just contains fairy tales. Fairy tales don't predict the future with 100% accuracy that often. Now, let's look at some other reasons why, as believers, we might want to study prophecy and not neglect it. First, of course, a major part of prophecy is the second coming of the Messiah, the return of Of Yeshua. This concept of a second coming, of course, is found throughout the Bible. In fact, did you know that the concept of a second coming is found even in the Hebrew Bible? Again, by Hebrew Bible, I mean Old Testament. In fact, it is found 1,845 times in the Old Testament. Of course, the second coming is also found in the New Testament. And there, it is found 318 times. In fact, the second coming of the Lord is the dominant theme of 17 books in the Hebrew Bible. Now, you can find some of these stats I am mentioning here in a wonderful, simple, short book called Charts of Bible Prophecy by Dr. Wayne House and Dr. Randall Price. Dr. Randall Price is currently in the Judaica Studies Department at Liberty University, a wonderful school. Now, when we break this down further, every book of the New Testament, except for three, include the second coming of the Lord. The entire book of Revelation is about the second coming of the Lord, right? Revelation, what are we revealing? It's the revelation of Jesus the Messiah. Breaking this down further, in the New Testament, one out of every 12 verses contains the Lord's second coming and over the course of the whole Bible, 27% of the entire Bible is prophecy. More than a fourth of the Bible is prophecy. I don't think we want to neglect a fourth of the Bible for any of the reasons I had mentioned earlier because, oh, it doesn't matter now, or I'm just going to live for today and let the rest take care of themselves. I don't think we should really dive into those things because it creates too much division. I really don't think we should study prophecy because everyone who does becomes a date setter. What's the point in studying prophecy? None of us can really know anyway. I'm just going to let it all pan out in the end. These seem like positions that take the higher road. These seem like positions that take a stance that is more righteous than the others but they're not. It's good not to want to enter into divisions. It's good to want to keep unity. But that cannot be at the expense of neglecting scripture. If God intended for us to neglect the study of prophecy, why in his only divinely inspired book is a fourth about the subject of prophecy? Let's talk about those prophecies that have been fulfilled, because this is crucial. One of the reasons, in my opinion, that prophecy is often confusing for people is because some interpreters, some commentators, take a look at prophecy and they want to put an allegorical interpretation to it. They want to put some kind of spiritual or mystical interpretation to it because it cannot possibly be about what it says it's about. Okay, so let's entertain that theory for a second. Is there any examples in Scripture of prophecies that have been fulfilled in an allegorical or mystical or spiritual way? In other words, are there any prophecies that have been fulfilled that were not the simple, plain, literal meaning of the text? And if there have been, it opens us up to future prophecies that also have this mystical understanding that we just can't figure out, and so why study it? So does that possibility exist? Well, let me just tell you that all prophecies that have been fulfilled have been fulfilled literally. Not one fulfilled prophecy can we read and say, wow, that was an allegorical interpretation. Not one. Not one prophecy can we read and say, wow, that was a really spiritualized, mystical understanding. Each and every single one of them was a plain sense understanding of the prophecy. That's how it was fulfilled. And that gives us confidence that all future prophecies, no matter who or what they speak about, will be fulfilled in a literal plain sense fashion. Now, we've talked about this before on the Tove podcast. That doesn't mean that The Bible doesn't use symbols. That doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't use imagery. For example, the book of Revelation is filled with imagery and symbols. But what most fail to realize is that the meaning of that imagery, the meaning of those symbols, are given in the rest of the Bible so that we don't have to make up some kind of weird interpretation about it. So let's just take a look at some prophecies that have been fulfilled. And I want to give you some examples of the literal fulfillment of prophecies. First passage I want to take a look at is Genesis chapter 15. Abraham is put to sleep by the Lord. He's knocked out cold and God institutes a blood covenant with Abraham in response to the question of Abraham, which is, Lord, how can I know that I will possess this land? Here's what God says to Abram. Know this for certain. Your offspring will be foreigners in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. You probably already recognize that as Israel's time of bondage to the Egyptians. Now, I ask you, was that fulfilled in a literal way? Or can we look back and say, well, God didn't really enslave Abraham's people. They were promised a land. God was going to bless them, we read in Genesis chapter 12. Surely God can't mean that these people were going to go into actual physical bondage. Surely God can't mean 400 actual years. But you know what? We look back on it. That's exactly what it was. And no one disputes that now. It was a literal fulfillment when God gave the prediction to Abram. Let's talk about the book of Daniel for a second. Full of prophecy. The book of Daniel teaches us that there will be the rise and fall of multiple kingdoms. When Daniel was around, when he was living, of course, it was the Babylonian kingdom that was in existence. And Daniel predicted that that would fall. After the Babylonians, It was the Medo-Persians, and Daniel predicted they would come, rule for a while, and then fall. After the Medo-Persians, it was the Greeks. And Daniel predicted that Greece would come, rule for a while, and then fall. Was Daniel talking about literal kingdoms? We can see now, of course, that he absolutely was. Let's talk about Isaiah chapter 7, the Lord through the prophet, giving hope and encouragement to the house of David that they will not be obliterated. Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? And here's the prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, surely a virgin cannot have a son. Surely Isaiah was meaning some kind of spiritualized son here, some kind of spiritualized virgin. Virgins simply can't have babies. I imagine that in Isaiah's day, a lot of people thought that. I imagine that in Isaiah's day, a lot of people thought, well, what does this mean? Because it can't possibly mean that a virgin's going to conceive and have a baby. But you know what? Let's look at the record. Did a virgin conceive and have a baby? According to the New Testament record, absolutely. The book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, says that a future ruler will be born in Bethlehem. Someone could have thought in Micah's day, Well, it can't possibly mean Bethlehem, even though it says Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a small backwater town in the middle of nowhere with no political significance. Surely, Micah did not mean Bethlehem. Maybe he meant something else. But you know what? Micah meant what he said. How about the suffering of the Messiah? Isaiah chapter 53 talks about this future Messiah who would come and be despised. He would come and suffer. In fact, he would come and die. I am sure that people, some people, read Isaiah's prophecy and thought to themselves, well, this can't mean that the Messiah will really die a physical death. There's no way. This can't mean that the Messiah is going to be despised. Messiahs aren't despised. They're welcomed and they come conquering as kings. But if we look at the New Testament record... We see that the Messiah was literally despised, and he literally suffered and died. Isaiah was not speaking allegorically. There's not some kind of spiritual or mystic understanding to Isaiah's words. How about the resurrection? Psalm 1610 says, For you will not abandon me to Sheol, or the grave. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Now, that's taken as a messianic prophecy about the lord's resurrection and people reading this verse although they can see that clearly somebody is not going to experience decay may have said well that well that doesn't mean he's going to literally die it doesn't mean he's going to literally resurrect but as we know that's exactly what happened what about the future prediction of the temple When Jesus looks out over Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, because you did not recognize the day of your visitation, enemies are going to come and surround you and build embankments around you, and you're going to be destroyed. Was Jesus giving some sort of an allegorical spiritual interpretation, or was the temple and the city actually destroyed? We could go through here and list scores of other examples of fulfilled prophecies, And the fact that they were fulfilled in a literal, no-nonsense fashion. It doesn't mean that the people back at that time understood everything about that prophecy. That's not the point I'm trying to make. Of course, not a lot of people had the concept of a physical death of the Messiah in mind. But maybe that's because, number one, I'm sure there were some people who didn't know the scriptures. But maybe it's also because, number two, there were some people trying to spiritualize the scriptures, trying to say that it didn't mean what it clearly said. And there's a lot of grace for those folks. I'm not saying they're evil because of it. I'm saying here we are, thousands of years later, we have the hindsight of looking back on 500 fulfilled prophecies. I mean, what a blessing that is to be able to look back at much of the Bible and say, "Wow, all of these things have already been fulfilled. We have that blessing." And so hindsight is 2020. We can we don't have to ask the question, "I wonder when prophecies are fulfilled, are they fulfilled literally or spiritually? Are they fulfilled allegorically or in a no-nonsense plain meaning of the text fashion?" We can ask ourselves that question today and we have a clear answer. Prophecy is fulfilled in a literal fashion. It doesn't mean that we can understand everything about a specific prophecy, but what it does mean is that if the Bible says something clearly, we can expect it'll be fulfilled literally. Now, in such a chaotic world today, with corona, with political upheaval, with so much contention, not just in the United States, but all over the world, with unending wars in the Middle East, why study prophecy on a personal level? When we understand that God is absolutely sovereign, it gives us a peace. When we understand that God is leading the world somewhere and into a future that is better than what we're living in now, it gives us hope. Knowing what God is doing and where he is bringing us gives us a sense of greater stability. And in such a chaotic world, believers especially would do well to keep the future in mind, not focusing only on the immediate, rather focusing on the ultimate. And that's that God wins. God defeats evil. Justice is instituted. His kingdom, the Messianic kingdom, which we've talked about here on the Tove podcast before, will be inaugurated and established. That day is coming. And that provides us hope and peace and joy now. And we need those things. Those are fruits of the Spirit. As believers, we have a bright future ahead of us. And if we just get bogged down into the day-to-day, only focusing on what's going on in the world right now, it can leave us hopeless. It can leave us confused and oftentimes feeling lost. Prophecy keeps us focused on God. Rightly viewed, prophecy motivates us to share the gospel with the lost because we understand when we take a look at prophecy that things will come to an end. And hopefully the love we have for our neighbors, our family, our co-workers, The love we have for them and the love we have for God motivates us to share the hope we have, to share the hope we have about the future. Rightly viewed, we want to share the gospel with others so that others can experience the same hope and joy and peace that we have living amidst the chaos. Some of you, no doubt, have enough chaos in your own personal lives without adding to it the chaos of the world. Well, perhaps you've been listening today and you'd like to learn more about what the Bible says about prophecy. You'd like to learn more from qualified Bible teachers in a setting that is not crazy. I'd like to tell you about a prophecy conference we're having in a few months. On May 15th and 16th, a Friday evening and a Saturday morning into the early afternoon, We'll be having a conference at Village Church in Dyer, Indiana, which is just south of Chicago. I'm excited to announce that our Friday evening main speaker will be Dr. Michael Rydelnik, head of the Jewish Studies Department at Moody Bible Institute and the host of Open Line on Moody Radio. On May 16th, Saturday morning, we're going to have a lot of different breakout sessions about topics such as the tribulation period and other exciting events coming In our future, May 15th and 16th at Village Church in Dyer, Indiana. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign. I thank you that you give us a bright picture of the future in your word. Help us, Lord, to live with the fruit of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control that your spirit offers. Help us to live with those fruits amidst the chaos. Amen.